0: Amen. Thank you, worship team. At this time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church, and everyone else can finally take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 3. I say finally because it's been a long time coming that I have been ready to preach Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And this morning, we're going to see that we get to rejoice in the Lord and in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Again, we get to rejoice in the Lord and in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And in the text this morning, we're going to see three reasons as to why we can rejoice in the Lord and end the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So before we jump in, I've just got some news for you that I want you to understand and I want you to know sort of before we get started this morning, and that is this, as believers, we are supposed to be people of joy. Amen? We ought to be happy, we ought to be smiling, we ought to be rejoicing in the Lord always, regardless of circumstances. Amen? I want you to remember that as Paul this letter, and as he encourages the Philippian church to rejoice in the Lord, he is in prison chained to Roman guards, right? So I don't know what you're go- what's going on. I don't know how life's treating you, but I'm telling you, unless you're in prison chained to a Roman guard right now, you have reason to rejoice, amen? Oh, that sounded so sad. I mean, yeah, I'm so happy, Woohoo! come on, Seriously, that's part of the problem. We're not rejoicing in the Lord. And the reason we're not rejoicing in the Lord is because we're too concerned about the circumstances of our life. We're too concerned about things that are going on that are temporal, that are temporary, that don't matter. They probably won't matter next week, much less for all of eternity. Amen? And so let's focus on what does matter. Let's focus on what will last. Let's rejoice in the Lord this morning. Amen? I told you it's been three weeks. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm excited. And so this morning we are going to rejoice in the Lord together. And so let's begin in Rome, uh, Excuse me, Philippians chapter 3. Paul in Rome, we're in Philippians chapter 3, picking up in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more And I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we again thank you for allowing us to be gathered together this morning. Lord, again, I am grateful to be here this morning. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to preach this message. But Lord, we are completely and totally dependent upon you. So, Lord, I pray that you would get me out of your way, that you might be able to clearly communicate the truth of this passage and the truth of the gospel in such a way that you would be glorified, that your word would go forth, Lord, that we would hear it and respond to it in faith and in obedience. Lord, anoint me through your Holy Spirit. Fall fresh on us this morning, and I pray that you would be glorified. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And in the text, we're going to see three reasons why we can rejoice in the Lord and in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. In verse one, we see the first reason we can rejoice because our salvation is not based on works. Let me say that again. We can rejoice in our salvation because our salvation is not based based on works now in verse 1 paul begins with the word finally it reads as if paul is sort of concluding the letter but in reality that word finally can mark the transition to the last point in an argument which it seems to be doing here Paul has been building this argument all the way back to chapter 1, verse 27. He's been building this argument about our salvation and the implications of the gospel. And what Paul is saying in chapter 3, verse 1, he's saying, Finally, here's what I want you to do in light of what Jesus Christ did revealed in chapter 2, verses 6-11. through In light of who you are, in light of all that Christ has done for you, Paul says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I think it is incredibly helpful and important to remember the context by which Paul is writing. He is in prison. For him to say that has a huge amount of weight to it because of his personal circumstances when he writes to them to rejoice in the Lord. And so Paul begins and he says, I want you to rejoice In the Lord. And he continues and he says, For me to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. The same things that Paul is referring to is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is this I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to rejoice in the gospel. In other words, I want you to rejoice in your salvation. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved by God's grace, Paul says rejoice in the Lord. If you're here or you're listening online and you're not yet a believer, don't worry. During this message, the gospel will be clearly explained and proclaimed and you will have a chance to put your faith in Jesus before the day has ended. Paul says is, I want you to rejoice in your salvation. But in order for us to rejoice in our salvation, we have to fully understand our salvation. Not just what it means to trust Jesus and what it means to be saved initially, but I mean the implications of the gospel on our everyday, day-to-day life that allows us to live in joy, regardless of what's going on in our life. Because the reality is, sometimes we're not chained to a Roman guard prison, sometimes life stinks, amen? Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes circumstances are such that it is hard for us to rejoice. But we can rejoice regardless of those things if we will understand our salvation more and more. And that's why Paul says, listen, it's not a problem for me to continue to write to you the same things. It's not a problem for us to continually review the gospel. It's not a problem for us to understand it more and more and more. As a matter of fact, Paul says it's safe for you. In other words, it's good for you. Right? It's good for you not to get used to the gospel. It's good for you to constantly be studying and better understanding the implications of the gospel in your life. And so Paul says, it's no trouble for me, it's actually good for you. And so this morning, let's be reminded of some things concerning the gospel. Let's all just sort of remind one another of what the gospel message is and why we can have such joy in our salvation. So first of all, we can rejoice because our salvation is not based on works. Our salvation is not based upon our best efforts. It's not based upon you or I being good enough or even being good for that matter. Amen? Our salvation is based upon something other than what we bring to the table. Now, the context to why Paul is writing is Paul knows that either a group of people has come to the church at Philippi, or most likely, he knows that a group of people are coming to the church at Philippi that are going to tell the Philippians the salvation is incomplete. You've got Jesus, which is great. You've got the truth of the gospel, which is fantastic, but... In order for you to really be the children of God, in order for you to really be considered a part of God's family, you need to be circumcised. You need to add something to your faith. I've preached here long enough that I hope you know by now that any time we have a message of salvation that is Jesus plus anything, it's wrong. Amen? Jesus plus circumcision, wrong. Jesus plus works, wrong. Jesus plus anything is a lie. It is false. It is fake. It is not the truth of the gospel. And so what Paul says is there's a group that is going to come in. Scholars call them the Judaizers. And the Judaizers tend to follow Paul everywhere he goes. And they try to get these Gentile believers to become Jews through acceptance of circumcision. They try to get them to turn into Jews, into proselytes as they would call them. And in some cases they want them to follow the law. But in most cases they just want them to be circumcised so that they can be a part of the true people of God. But notice that Paul has no place for them. As a matter of fact, Paul uses some really graphic and humorous and striking terms to describe these group of false teachers. Notice what he says, picking up in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Now, if you have a dog as a pet, raise your hand. All right, so you got a dog as a pet, then, then this, this illustration, the graphicness of it kind of goes over your head. Because if you're like us and you have a dog as a pet, you actually like dogs, right? You think they're cute, great, you love them, some of you let them. House. Some of you let them sleep in your bed, been there, done that, we finally threw them all out, but you know, we, we, we like dogs. In our society, dogs are great. Dogs sometimes are treated better than humans in our society, right? Like, like, how many of you take your dog to the vet, but you don't go to the doctor? Yeah, none of you do that. I, I, listen, I know some of you do that, right? And, and so listen, we love dogs, but during this period in time, dogs were not acceptable, Gentiles detested dogs. Jews viewed dogs as unclean. As a matter of fact, when Paul says that they're dogs, he is turning the table on these Judaizers because Jews would oftentimes refer to Gentiles as dogs in a way to utterly demean them. And so what... Paul says here is these Judaizers who are trying to push circumcision on you. He says they're the true dogs. They're the ones who need to be demeaned. They're the ones who you ought not listen to. He also says they're evildoers. Why? Because they're not preaching the truth of the gospel. They're actually pushing people away from Jesus. They're, they're leading people away from the truth of the gospel. Paul says they are dogs. They're evildoers who mutilate the flesh. In verse 3, it becomes clear Paul is talking about circumcision when he talks about mutilating the flesh again. Any any Jew or Gentile that read that during this time period would have immediately <gasps> gasped because of the audacity for Paul to say that in reference to circumcision. That was beyond socially unacceptable. That was anything but politically correct. Amen. Like that was a very insulting way to refer to the Jews as those who mutilate the flesh. And so what Paul is saying is these false teachers have a problem. The issue is that these false teachers will come in. They will claim that in order for Gentiles to be accepted into the people of God, they have to become Jews. And so what Paul is saying is that's not who you are, church at Philippi. That's not who we are, church at Corinth. We are what Paul calls the true circumcision. Why? Not because we've accepted Jesus plus circumcision, but because we've accepted Jesus through faith in Christ alone. As a matter of fact, we see that oftentimes we don't come to this same, uh, we don't face this same exact threat. However, we do oftentimes face a similar threat. Now, I don't know if there's ever been a time where someone's crept into this church or any church in our area, for that matter, and said, you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's not something we face, right? But oftentimes, we do tend to hear this. Sometimes it comes from outside influences. Oftentimes, if we're being honest, it comes from inside of us. We have this mindset that in order for us to be saved, we need Jesus, but we also need to be good. We need to be better. We need to do better, right? How many times have you heard somebody say that? Yeah, I want to, you know, I want to start coming to church, but I just, I got to get some things straightened out first. That's trying to be better, right? You hear a believer saying, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the Lord and, but you know, I just, I just got to do better. I I gotta be better. I I gotta be better. I gotta be good. You know. I. I, You know. How how sure are you of your salvation? Well, I mean, I've I've trusted Jesus, but I've just. I just gotta be better. I gotta do good. I gotta do better. And, And what we fail to understand is when we do that, we are adding something to the truth of the gospel. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. It is not of works. Amen. Now, that does not mean that God is not going to work in our lives. We're going to see that as Paul moves on. But what Paul wants us to understand initially is that our salvation is not based on our works. That's not who we are. So who are we? Well, Paul describes this for us in verse 3. We are the true circumcision, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, making us children of god we are those who worship or serve by the spirit of god because the holy spirit of god lives in us we are those who glory in christ jesus and what he accomplished on the cross for our salvation we are those who put no confidence in the flesh and what we can do or earn but put all our confidence in the grace of god provided through jesus christ that's who we are we are not those who think that we can do better We are those who know that if we're going to do better, it's only because of God's grace working through us. Amen? Listen, I didn't have any chance of being good enough to be saved. I can promise you I don't have any chance of being good enough to continue to live out my salvation in a way that's going to glorify God. If it's up to me, I'm going to blow it often. You know how I know that? Because I blow it often. Amen? Amen? Because when I try to do it my best way, it's never good enough. But when I submit more of myself to Jesus, when I'm more committed to following Jesus, you know what happens? God works through me. Amen? It's always God that is working, not me. When I'm bringing my best efforts, my works to the table, it's always ugly. Right? And so Paul says that's not what salvation is. Salvation is not based upon your works. Now, Paul doesn't say this, notice in verse 4, because he's afraid of what his works might bring. In other words, Paul is, is not saying salvation isn't based upon works because Paul has no works to offer. Paul says, listen, if salvation was based upon works and you want to start comparing, Paul says, I'll compare with anybody. Now, Paul's not bragging. What Paul is doing in verses four through six is Paul is demonstrating how good his works were so that we will understand that no matter how good they are, they're still not good enough. Right? And so notice, Paul says, I got seven works that I'll love to list for you. If you want to compare apples to apples, if you want to measure up to me, he says, listen to my list. And so Paul gives us this seven things in verses four, five, and six. One, Paul says that he was circumcised the eighth day, meaning that he was born a Jew and he followed the law given to Abraham in Genesis 17. Two, Paul says he was a people, he was, excuse me, of the people of Israel, meaning that he was not a proselyte. He was a legitimate Jew born into a Jewish family that had long tenured Jewish heritage, right? He says, I'm of Israel. He says, but I'm also of the tribe of Benjamin. That was the beloved tribe of Israel, by the way. Right. So he's like, I'm not just from any of the twelve tribes, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He then adds all that up and says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning that Paul says, I have a pedigree and a family history that everyone else wishes they had. Right? Now it may not make sense to us, but that's what Paul's saying. Then he says, five, concerning the law, he was a Pharisee, meaning that he kept the law flawlessly. How many of you have ever read through the book of Leviticus? Right. Yeah, fun times, amen. Right, Paul says, I kept the law, all of those laws, flawlessly. Six, Paul says that I had so much passion or zeal for the law that I persecuted the early church. He says, according to righteousness that could be achieved through the law, Paul says that I, seven, was blameless. Paul says, so I'd like to add my seven accomplishments that I have. And I want you to notice that all of those things are worthless. You see, it's clear. Paul had reason to boast in the flesh and more reason than any to have confidence in the flesh. However, Paul knows what the gospel makes clear. Our best is never good enough for God. Right? Now, when I say that, you may think, wait a minute, my best isn't good enough for God? That seems harsh. Well, the reality is your best, my best, is not good enough for God. He demands perfection. He demands demands righteousness and the reason that we speak of God as a gracious and loving God is because God provided that for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ amen it's not that God looks at us and says you're not good enough it's that God looks at us and says because of sin you're not good enough therefore let me make you good enough Because God desperately wants a relationship with each and every one of us. We are created in the image of God. Amen? And God sent Jesus to reconcile us back to Him so that our sins could be removed, so that we could enter back into a personal relationship with God because God loves us. It's not that you can't come to God. It's that you can't come to God based upon your works. You're not good enough. Neither am I. Amen? And so... What we see, first of all, is that we can rejoice because our salvation is not based upon our works or ability to be good enough. Now, why does that cause me to rejoice? Because if salvation was based upon works, guess what? We stand no chance. Amen? And by the way, when we try to live a life where our works add up to us being good enough, That typically leads to one of two things. It either leads to despair because we're not good enough, amen, or it leads to legalism where we pretend like we're good enough, right? That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees weren't in despair. The Pharisees just pretended like they were good enough, but everyone else was in despair because they weren't good enough, amen? But we rejoice this morning because our salvation is not based upon works. And then secondly, we rejoice because our salvation is based on faith in Christ. How, do we, how are we saved? How do we, how, do we, how do we get to God? It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now in verse 7, Paul says something pretty interesting, and again, pretty striking, especially to this audience. He says in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of of Christ. Now the term Paul uses here are accounting terms. And so here's here's kind of what I want you to envision. Paul has has sort of two columns in mind. Alright, so everybody kind of look up here for a minute. I know it's like accounting stuff and so it's numbers and math and some of us are already confused, right? That's okay. Just stay with me. I'm going to keep it real simple. Right? So Paul has two columns, right? This column is the loss column. Right? This is these are those things that are depreciated in value that or costing you something, this is that thing that is going to end up costing you in the long run, right? And then in this column over here, this is the gain. These are those things that appreciate in value or that gain value over time, right? And so here's what Paul says. Paul says, I've got two columns. And in in this column of loss, Paul says, I am listing every religious accomplishment that I just listed in verses 4 through 6, right? Hebrew of Hebrew, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, right? All of those religious accomplishments, Paul says, I have placed them in the lost column. Now, he goes further. In verse 8, he says, Not only have I placed all of those religious accomplishments in the lost column, Paul says, I've placed everything in the lost column. All of life. Everything that life has to offer. Everything that can be achieved and accomplished in this lifetime. Paul says, I've placed all of it in the lost column. All of that is lost to me. He says, and I've got one and only one thing in the gain column, and it's Jesus Christ. Paul says, I count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. I've given up everything else so that I could know Jesus more and more. To make sure we understand how serious He is, Paul gets kind of gross and graphic. Paul says, as a matter of fact, I count everything that I have achieved I count all of those things that I had attained, I count them as rubbish. Now, the word rubbish, if we were going to translate it most accurately into our English, it would be rubbish, dung, or, to make it more understandable, poop. Right Now, I know that that's not appropriate to say. And Paul knew it wasn't appropriate to say. Paul says it because he wants to grab your attention. So if Paul says, listen, we've got a choice to make. And I want you to understand all of us have the same choice to make. We can choose all that this life has to offer, all that we can achieve, all that can be gained, all that can be done. We can choose all that this life is, or we can choose Jesus. To put it another way, Paul, you can choose poop, or you can choose Jesus. Now, when you put it in those terms, it's a pretty easy choice, amen? And what Paul wants you to understand is that everything you can accomplish religiously or in life, all that life has to offer, Paul says, it's all going away. You get that, right? It's all going away. It won't matter in eternity. It won't, it won't, it won't make any difference. It's going to be gone, completely and totally gone, Right? The houses we live in, the cars we drive, the jobs we have, all the accomplishments in life that we could ever make, they're going to be gone and forgotten. Nobody's going to care in 50 years. Right? And nobody's going to even remember in 200 years. They're gone. They're poop flushed down the commode. However, knowing Jesus makes a difference for eternity. So what do we want to choose? Paul says, listen, I've given up everything for the sake of knowing Christ. So the question is, how do we then choose Jesus? Remember earlier I said if you don't know Jesus, I I was going to help you understand how you can get to know Jesus. How do we choose Jesus? Well, we start by rejecting our righteousness, the righteousness that comes from our best efforts and instead we choose the righteousness that comes from Jesus. So here's how how we sort of begin this process. Is I come to the conclusion and the realization that my best isn't good. Best isn't good enough for God because I am a sinner. I have fallen short of God's glory. You may be better than me, but I'm just telling you honestly, I fall way short of God's glory. Right? Like Nowhere close. We were watching these funny videos the other day, and, uh, and there was this guy, probably probably about my age, and, and he was going to jump over this mud hole that was kind of in a path. And, and I can see myself doing this. And so this guy, he's like, you know what, I can still do this. And so he's got his wife recording this for him because he's going to show her that he's still got you know the mad hops to jump this mud puddle. And so he comes flying down this mud puddle, and, and, and it's not that he doesn't clear it it's not even that he gets halfway across it or almost clears it it's that he falls before he ever jumps and just slides through it right like it is failure to the the like the tenth degree like it is beyond failure it is pathetic failure that's my best efforts before god i didn't almost get to god's glory i wasn't close i fell in the mud before i ever tried to jump right And so I begin by rejecting my righteousness. I admit that I am a sinner. I have nothing to offer God. Therefore, I reject my righteousness and I accept what God had offered through Jesus, which is His righteousness. Because Jesus, God's Son, came to this earth and lived a perfectly righteous life for us. Amen? He then went to the cross and died on the cross to pay the penalty of death that we owed, not Him. Right? And He paid our penalty on our behalf so that we could then have His righteousness because He took upon our penalty. And verse 9 makes it clear. The way that we do that isn't by abracadabra. It isn't hocus-pocus. It is by believing in who Jesus is and what He accomplished on the cross. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes, excuse me, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. You see, the awesome thing about the righteousness of Jesus is it doesn't depend upon us, it depends upon God. It doesn't come from me, it comes from Christ. It comes from God. It's given to me and you freely if we will have faith in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? The word faith also means to believe. In other words, if you believe that Jesus is God's son, and you believe that he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then was raised victoriously from the dead, and if you are willing to follow Jesus, jesus right that's faith faith is belief that leads to action right even the devil believes those things but is not willing to follow jesus that's what it takes to have faith in jesus is that we believe in who he is we believe in what he did and we are committed and willing to follow jesus and you know what the bible says The Bible says that God bestows or pours out the righteousness of Jesus on you. I think that's awesome. Because you know what? Here close up on the inside, I still know that I'm still really short, uh, falling short of God's glory. I'm still like flailing around the mud. Right? But when God looks at me, he looks past that because he looks through the blood of Jesus and he sees me as what I will be one day, righteous. Amen. And so that's what we see, is that salvation isn't based upon our works. Salvation is based upon faith in Christ, and it really is that easy. And by the way, that's why we rejoice. Amen? Because as we sit here and stand here today, our faith, our salvation has nothing to do with what we are and what we, what we can do. It has everything to do with who we are in Christ. It has everything to do with Jesus and what He did. And so as we leave this place today, we rejoice because our salvation is not based upon our works. Our salvation is based upon faith in Jesus. Amen? But I got even better news. Jesus isn't done. You see, we can rejoice because our salvation is being made complete. It would be one thing if Jesus just saved us and, and, and take, took our sin away and then immediately took us to heaven, right? That's like I, I like to joke that, you know, if that was the case, then when it came to your baptism, I'd hold you down till the bubble stopped, right? You, you'll figure it out, right? And you just immediately go to be with Jesus, right? But That's not what he does, right? He completes the good he's begun in us. Right, He brings salvation to completion. That's what we see in verses 10 and 11. Now, in verses 7, 8, and 9, we, we have sort of seen play out this theological term called justification. All right? justification is how we become justified before God. God removes our sin through the blood of Jesus. He puts God's righteousness on us through faith in Jesus. And therefore, when God looks at us, he sees that we have been justified through faith in Christ. That's justification. But in verses 10 and 11, Paul brings out two other important theological terms. He brings out the term sanctification and the term glorification. Now, we'll talk about what these mean. First of all, sanctification speaks to the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. Remember, we are being transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? We were created in the image of God. The image of God got marred because of sin, and now God is restoring his image. He's transforming us, conforming us back to the image of Christ. That's the process of sanctification, whereby we become more and more like Jesus. Now look at verse 10, because in verse 10, Paul tells us how that process works. First of all, notice what he says in verse 10. He says, first of all, Paul says that I may know him. You see, the first step in becoming more like Jesus is to know him more and more. Now, understand, this is not a one-stop part of the process. In other words, this isn't something where we know Jesus, complete, check that off, and we move on. No, this is an ongoing process where we are growing in our knowledge of Jesus. Right? How many of you know Jesus perfectly? None of us. So all of us have room to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Amen? And the more we grow in our knowledge of Him, the more we know Him, the more we become conformed into His image. And so it is a process of growing in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, how do we grow in our knowledge of Him? We grow in our knowledge of Him by spending time with Jesus. Amen? By spending time in His Word and by spending time with His people. Those three ways. Spend time with Jesus. Time alone with Jesus. In prayer, you spending time with Jesus. Time in his word. God speaks to you through the word, but you have to open it first. And read it. Let me make sure we're, we're all tracking. Like, like this, do, this doesn't going to work just having it open. i got to read it. Amen? All right. You can even get a fancy app on your phone that will read it to you. Amen? Like you 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 can make take take all the difficulty work out of it and you can you can probably find you know cassette tapes if you still know what those are and you can put that they'll read that to you, right? But you gotta spend time with Jesus, time in his word, and then something we often fail, like acknowledge the importance of we've got to spend time with his people. Right? We are the body of Christ. Amen. That's why it's so important that we gather together. It's why it's so important that we, we physically gather together when we are able. Because it is important to be a part of the body of Christ. Amen? And so we grow, first of all, in our knowledge of Jesus. Secondly, we also get to know the power of resurrection. Look at that in verse 10. Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now this is crazy awesome. Did you know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is working in you to transform you into the image of Christ? That same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is working in you. That's awesome, amen? As a matter of fact, look at what it says back in chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead according to his power is the same God that is bringing you to completion. That's awesome. Amen? That's awesome, and so Paul says, "I'm getting to know him. I'm getting to know the power of his resurrection. That's how I'm becoming more and more like Jesus." And then thirdly, Paul says, "And I get to share in his sufferings." Wait, where was where was the woo? We're rejoicing, amen. Where where was the excitement there? Reality, that doesn't sound all that exciting, does it? Doesn't doesn't sound great. That we get to share in his suffering. But that's exactly what Paul says in verse 10. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul enjoys the suffering, but Paul does enjoy the outcome of the suffering. You see, Jesus suffered for you, but he suffered for me. Amen? You want to know what Jesus went through? You want to become more and more like Jesus? Then it requires us to suffer like jesus suffered amen and jesus makes it clear paul makes it clear the entire new testament makes it clear jesus suffered so will we amen now we don't have to enjoy it as in yay it's fun but we want to acknowledge the benefit of it and rejoice in it because of what it produces in us Listen, I know Jesus more. I have greater confidence and faith in Jesus after enduring the suffering than I ever did beforehand. Right? I appreciate him more after he's brought me through and in the midst of his suffering because there have been many times in my life where I would not have made it another day without God's grace. Amen. And so that's exactly what Paul says. Paul says, I am rejoicing because I know Jesus. I know the power of His resurrection. I share in His sufferings. And then Paul says, fourthly, becoming like Him in His death. Now, Paul could have meant several things here. Paul was dying for his faith like Jesus. Paul had died to sin like Jesus, and Paul was at least willing to die for the sake of the gospel like Jesus did. And The reality is we don't know exactly which one Paul meant, but here's what Paul basically says. Paul is saying that in order for me to be like Jesus, then I must die like Jesus died so that I can then move on to the next theological term, move on to glorification. That's why Paul said earlier, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is better. Amen? That's awesome. It's incredible. Right? If I live, I'm living for Jesus. If I die, that's a win. That's a gain. That's better. Because once I die, Paul says, bring on the glorification. So sanctification is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. Glorification is the reality that one day we will spend eternity in glory with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We will receive glorified bodies. We will in turn be glorified as the children of God all so that we can take the glory and give it all back to the God who sent Jesus to save us. Amen? And that's the process of glorification. We have not yet experienced it, but we know it's coming. Amen? We got faith, and we got confidence, and honestly, we're looking forward to it. Amen? Because we know that the day is coming where we will be glorified with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity. And so Paul says, notice in verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now be careful, Paul doesn't mean there that he's hoping that he'll attain it. Paul, when he says the phrase, by any means possible, Paul is saying basically, I don't know how it's going to happen because there's basically two possible ways it can happen. We can be glorified, we can go spend eternity with Jesus in two ways. One, we can die and we can go home to be with Jesus, right? Two, we can see Jesus coming in on the clouds and we can be resurrected with the church, right? Paul says, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm confident it's going to happen. For Paul, he didn't see the church raptured. Paul died and went home to be with Jesus, right? You and I, verdict's still out. We'll find out, amen, right? But Paul says that however it happens, I don't care because I am going home to be with Jesus. And so Paul says, we can rejoice in the lord we can rejoice in our salvation why because our salvation is not based upon our works our salvation is based upon faith in our lord and savior jesus christ we can rejoice because our salvation is being made complete we are being confirmed into the image of christ and one day we will spend eternity with jesus amen and so Can we rejoice? We better. We got a lot to be thankful for, amen? We got a lot to smile about. And so let me ask you are you looking forward to glory? Are you able to rejoice in the Lord this morning? You know, the reality is you might be going through something where you feel like you are in prison, you feel like you are chained to a guard. Listen, ask for God's grace that we would stop focusing on those circumstances, however difficult they might be, and in the midst of the circumstances, even in the midst of the suffering, let's find a reason to rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Keep your columns correct. All of life, all that life can offer, all that can be achieved, all that sometimes we strive for is loss. It will be lost one day. Jesus is the only thing we can gain. Amen? So be careful. It's easy for us to get distracted by the cares of the world. It's easy for us to sort of forget that and us to just go after worldly things hard because we think that's what we ought to do. Paul says those are all lost. Just know Jesus and the power of His resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love You. And we are so grateful and thankful for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. And Lord, we thank you that our salvation, Lord, is not based upon our efforts, our works. Lord, our salvation is based upon faith in Jesus alone. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, anyone listening online who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you would call out to them, and Lord, that they would respond to your calling in faith, believing in who you are and believing in what you accomplished for their salvation. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that you would give them the courage to follow you this morning. Lord, I also pray, Lord, that you would convict those of us that need to be convicted. Lord, it is so easy for us to get carried around and carried off by the cares of the world. Lord, oftentimes we need a reminder. We need a wake-up call. Lord, let this message, let this text be a wake-up call to us. Lord, that we would count all of those things as loss and instead we would strive after knowing you more. Lord, that we would be sanctified, that we would look forward to our glorification one day in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as we become more and more like you. Lord, help us to leave this place rejoicing in the gospel. We love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.